go to the nursery. They'll be with um, great people, and they'll come back just before uh, the worship service. So let's move on to our good news of the week. Today is that we are hosting uh, Charge Conference. Charge Conference is the celebration of the year that's been and looking forward to the year that is to come. Charge Conference is different this year in the United Methodist Church in our district entirely, and it's because instead of one church having uh, their own charge conference. Eight United Methodist churches are worshiping together. And so we'll be together in our sanctuary today at 3 p.m. Uh, if you are available to come, there will be a worship service where we all celebrate uh, being with each other, and our district superintendent will preach to us. Then the leadership of the charge conference will go to a separate place after the worship service and settle everything that needs to be done. It should be about an hour. Um, if you are um, a participant leader, uh, in our church, we'd be grateful for your time and uh, being there today. Um, in terms of this worship service, on the back, Cindy has printed off uh, pages for volunteer leadership, and she's also moving towards uh, getting that volunteer leadership online. We had awesome uh, sale for pumpkins, and uh, um, all those proceeds are going to go to the security system, and we'll be giving you updates about getting that system and implementing that system uh, for children all the way up to fifth grade uh, very, very soon. Um, did I mention cards? If you have prayer concerns this morning and would like to share them with us, we will name them in our worship service and also pray for them at our Tuesday prayer group. Just raise your hand and you will get a card and um, make sure that you print and print legibly. That would be very helpful. Thank you. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. to the heavens Your faithfulness stretches to the sky Your righteousness is like mighty mountain Yeah Your justice flows like the ocean's tide And I will lift my voice To worship you, my King And I will find my strength In the shadow of your wings You love, O oh Lord Reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness stretches to the sky. Your righteousness is like a mighty mountain. Yeah, your justice flows. Like the ocean's tide And I will lift my high voice 
worship you, my King. And I will find my high strength in the shadow of your wings. And I will lift my high voice to worship you, my King. And I will find my high strength in the shadow of your wings your love oh lord reaches to the heavens your faithfulness stretches to the sky Gracious God, we are grateful this morning to come here together as a family of believers, and we are especially grateful this morning for the lives of the friends and the family that we will celebrate during this service. Help us to remember them and remember their love and remember the way that they affected our lives. We ask that you focus our hearts and our minds on you now as we prepare to worship you together. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. We will not have a children's sermon, but children that would like to go to the nursery are welcome to move at this time there. And if you would turn and greet your neighbor. We are grateful for your sharing of prayer concerns. Today we're asked to remember Steve Willman, who has liver cancer. Anna, who lost her sister yesterday. Andy, going through medical problems. And Carl Rogan with cancer. We're asked to pray for a person looking for a new job. And we're asked to pray for Conrad Robertson. Joe Winsky and David L. Taylor. The reason I wanted to share the book Why with y'all in the very beginning is because it uh, means so much to me in my ministry and my belief systems, the book by Adam Hamilton. And he certainly touches on death and what, uh, how painful it can be, how sudden it can be, how elongated it can be, but it comes. And in the midst of death, sometimes we celebrate for reconciled relationships or for the fact that the person no longer suffers. And at times we feel tremendous pain 
and lost. And today we celebrate those people that we've lost since last All Saints Sunday. And you can close your eyes and listen. You can keep them open and listen. You can do whatever you like as we read the names. Uh, we'll have a bell for each name and we'll light a candle for each name. Betty K. October 30th, 2014. Betty K, October 30th, 2014. Wayne Reed, January 1st, 2015. Anthony Tony Hammond, January 11th, 2015. Marion Philpot, January 16th, 2015. Norman Philpot, January 16th, 2015. Sylvia Giles, January 26th, 2015. Eloise Hendricks, February 21st, 2015. Dean Price, April 5th, 2015. Steve Rogers, May 19th, 2015. Doris Hatcher, May 21st, 2015. Aggie Glenn, May 28th, 2015. Virginia McClure, September 22nd, 2015. Martha Leonard, October 19th, 2015. Mildred Seymour, October 19th, 2015. Obina Bina Beanie Robertson, October 23rd, 2015. 
2015. Let us pray. Eternal God, we praise you for the great company of all those who have finished their course in faith and now rest from their labor. We praise you for those dear to us whom we now name in our hearts before you. Especially this day, we praise you for those we have lost in 2015, whom you have graciously received into your presence. To all of these, grant your peace. Let perpetual light shine upon them. And help us so to believe where we have not seen that your presence may lead us through our years and bring us at last with them into the joy of your home, not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. I looked at different texts throughout the Bible that would capture this day, and I found several options. But this one stuck out to me uh, the most out of all of them, Deuteronomy 34. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. So we're often at a distinct disadvantage in reading the Bible because there's all kinds of points of geography and all kinds of family history. And so I've been here since June, and I've probably heard 15, 16 versions of where a number of people live in the area and how they're all tied to one another and how they've all connected to one service or the other or were and are no longer or were no longer and now are, okay? So over time, I'll build up that story and the geography, and things will click faster. We have a distinct disadvantage as we look at the Bible unless we study and study and study and study and study because we don't know these places as well. And so what if I said, um, so I grew up in Rock Hill and we would frequently hike uh, Crowder's Mountain. From Crowder's Mountain State Park, you can climb to the very top and you can from one side see the Charlotte skyline far off you can see Rock Hill, you can see all sorts of places. From the other side, you can look south 85 and see for miles on a clear day. Or I take the girls, uh, Katie and I will go to uh, Bald Rock or um, 
Caesar's head, any one of those places, think about going to one of those places looking out like that, and you see all that land. Someone or a pretty place, mercy, I've done a wedding at pretty place, and looking out over all that land and seeing all those cities, and God looking there with Moses on the edge of the promised land. Now, why is it important to mention all these places? Because God has made a covenant and promised all these places over time. One day, I will take you there, and that place will be your land, your people's land. And this is the culmination of everything that God has promised. Moses sitting on this mountain, looking out into that amazing uh, landscape. So I'm thinking, as he's sitting there, he's thinking two things. One, the view. You know, anytime you see something far larger than you are, it gives you a sense of the world around you and gives a sense of how small you are, which can be both comforting and discomforting. The other thing I'm thinking, that you must be thinking, is everything that it took to get there. See, he uh, floated down the river as a baby, and the Egyptian uh, woman picked him up. She took him in as her own. He was raised with the Egyptian people. He got really mad when one of those Egyptians abused one of his people, murdered that Egyptian. He ran for his life. That was going to be his life out there in the wilderness. And out there in the wilderness, he's called by God. Nope, you've got to go back in. And you've got to speak to the Pharaoh, and you've got to get him to get all my people out of there. Can you imagine what those people, what he thought? He goes and he gets all those people out of there. He crosses the Red Sea. He's in the wilderness. He goes up a mountain. He comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. While he's up there, the people are like, it's taking too long. They get grumpy. He said, they say, we're hungry. He gives them food. We don't like this food. They wander, they wander, they wander, they wander. They navigate decades of traveling, and now you will see the place where you're going. Of course, now that you see it, you're going to die. Would that be uh, a relief because of everything that it took to get there? Or would it be, oh man, I got all this way and I'm not going to get to go all the way in? You know, it could go either way, depending on the person, depending on the situation, depending on the day maybe, depending on how that day had gone. Scripture continues. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak and his strength not gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. So if you think about numbers in the Bible, if I told you, you know, you think about the number three, where do you see the number three in the Bible? A number of places. Where do you see the number seven? I can't do 12. Where do you see the number 12? A bunch of places. Where do you see the number 40? All over the place. Y'all ever recognize 30? I'll be honest, when I read it this time, I thought, 30? Where did 30 come from? And it doesn't happen very often. 
the times that it happened, uh, I have to look because uh, I wrote it down. David started his ministry at 30. Jesus started his ministry at 30. And priests served as sort of uh, assistants from 25 to 30 and then really started their ministry at 30. And so the people grieved for 30 days. That's a long time. Depends on the, you know, what did they do and how did they grieve. But you think, you know, sometimes you're grieving well past that. I'm thinking they officially grieved for 30 days. Of course, there are times the Israelites were very hard on Moses. When they were in between the mountains, the Egyptian army, and the ocean, the people said, well, okay, cool, you brought us out here to die. You know, we were, I thought slavery was bad, but I guess coming out here to die is worse. Hard on him. They said, this food is terrible. We hate it. They said, I don't know that you even know where we're going. When he was up on the mountain, they said, you've been gone too long. We're going to melt down our stuff. We're going to worship this God because you take too long. They said, we're never going to make it. What are they saying now after his death? Let's look at verse 10. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all these signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all of his officials and to the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israel. How many times do you think they told him that? But when he was gone, there's two factors in that. One, um, in looking back, we figure the past was always better than the present. You know, it's like, man, those are good old times. That was back when we were something. Or that was back when we had a leader. You know, whatever that thing may be, when you're looking back, it's a little more rosy. The other part of that is in the present, we're a little harder on people than we should be. You know, the sweet things that we say to one another about a person after they're gone would be really amazing things to hear in life. They really would. No one's ever been, no one's ever been like Moses, and no one will ever be. Yeah, well, when he was here, we told him we wanted better snacks. Okay? That we wanted, you can do better, you can get us there faster. The other element of this is the element of transition. My mother's father was a United Methodist minister in the Holston Conference, which is East Tennessee. It's a little bit of Georgia, East Tennessee, and a little bit of Virginia. Okay. Our conference is the entire state of South Carolina. So I could live anywhere in South Carolina. He could go anywhere in this diagonal annual conference. He was 37, he's my age, when he decided to go into ministry. He was 6'6". Six, six. He was a principal and a basketball coach, and he had daughters about my daughter's ages. And he decided to leave that job that's no question paying me, and I'm doing very well to go risk it all in the ministry. So um, I can't identify with him there because I was 22. I didn't know anything. I was just graduating college. I wasn't married. I didn't have any kids. I didn't have anything. It was like, you know, we want to go somewhere in the state. Cool. Let's go somewhere in the state. Okay? 
But after that, we, our, our, our career, our um, journey is very similar because he was United Methodist. I'm United Methodist. He wanted the best, you know, he, my mom will reflect, my mom was the second daughter. She was the Caroline in our family, of that family. And she has vivid memories of going to those churches and serving those people. He retired and he came to Rock Hill in um, somewhere around 92, 93, before I could drive. And when I could drive, I would swing by and pick him up and take him places. Of course, I had no idea then that I would be going in the ministry. And my parents never said, so we expect you to go in the ministry. They never mentioned it. I've said a couple times in worship service, I would draw football plays on the bulletin for that afternoon, things I was going to do, things that we hadn't done before that may surprise them. Now, I went to youth group, did all sorts of things in worship, but it, no one thought, and I wasn't a terrible kid, but no one thought this guy is going to be a minister. But in college, I decided that I'm going to do a mission internship. And a mission internship, I decided I wanted to go into ministry. And in the fall of 99, I was a senior in college and applying to seminary. And so being gone to college, I wasn't home as much. I couldn't talk to him as much. And he was declining. And on December 31st of 1999, he died. And on June 21st of 2000, I started ministry. Now, if I could go back, and, I mean, I took advantage of opportunities to be around him, but I didn't take advantage of opportunities to talk to him about ministry. If I had that chance, that would be the thing I would do, to compare notes. I'll tell you one way that he's impacted my ministry is um, my mom said that there was a church that was really hard on him. It was a small family church, and that family... You know, families can be sort of grumpy, and church people can be sort of grumpy. And she said, they just got after him. And I thought, I'm going to make hostile people pick up the check for those people for the rest of my ministry. That's one impact. Hostile people have gotten it from me in honor of him throughout my entire ministry for the good and the bad sometimes. But he had to set it down, and I picked it up. And there's times when the person setting it down, you know, they've seen so much, and they know so much, and the person picking it up, my goodness, what do they know? Hardly anything. He is handing the keys to this entire nation to Joshua just before you cross over. My goodness, how in the world... Are we going to do that? Well, it's because the nature of this calling is not something that ends. Okay? It's something that you do. It's not, I say this to the girls all the time. This isn't a fight that you win. It's a fight that you fight. The girls and I were out raking leaves yesterday in the yard, and we started with the front yard. And then we got a blower and went around to the back driveway, and we blew it all to the front to get it on the street. And when we got around with the blower to the street, the front yard looked like we had never touched it, not once. And the tree on the, on, if you're looking at the house, the tree on the right side's got those leaves that are like this big. No rake is built for leaves this big, okay? You look real goofy raking those leaves. 
but to say, we, we come out here and we do it because we believe in it, not because we complete it, not because it's over. So, um, unfortunately, in the United Methodist Church, as ministers move, you don't build the 25, 45-year connection with a congregation that you would. And so when I see these names, they don't ring with me like they ring with you, except for a couple there at the end. But I want you to think about the names that we read. Think about the things that you celebrate about that person. Think about the ways that you can live out that thing that you celebrate about that individual. So that when they set it down, you pick it up. Think about the people that are coming after you along, after you in leadership. And think about the things that you do that you need to impart to them so that they understand it, so it's not just something that we do, you know, because we do that. It's because we believe in it. And when you're looking at those young leaders, you're thinking, I will not always be here, and these young leaders are going to be the one that carry us forward. So I'm going to read these names one more time, and I want you to just think about them. Think of some, if you, if you know them well, think of something that you love about them. Think about ways that we can carry that forward. Betty Kay. Wayne Reed. Tony Hammond. Marion Philpott. Norman Philpott. Sylvia Giles. Eloise Hendricks. Dean Price, Steve Rogers, Doris Hatcher, Aggie Glenn, Virginia McClure, Martha Leonard, Mildred Seymour, Beanie Robertson. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for those who have poured so much into our lives, into our community, into our church, those that we no longer have. And as we consider elements of their life and their belief and their faith, their actions and their words, we ask, Lord, that you help us to take those up. And as we consider those who are doing just fine, healthy around us that we take for granted, help us, Lord, as we have something that we would celebrate them in loss, help us to tell them to write them, to email them, to text them, to let them know that we love them this day and this is why. But it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand for our affirmation. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who has created and is creating who has come in Jesus, the Word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit. We trust in God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus, crucified and risen, and our judge and our hope in life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us. 
We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let me call Mary Lee and Terry Arthur forward, please. I understand you've done different elements of things for Consecration Sunday, uh, but we're going to take this process very seriously this year and every year that I'm here to come. Part of taking that process seriously is picking a solid leader. And um, Mary Lee, my goodness, I've learned in very short order, is a very solid leader. She is helping us with our process this year. And if you'll please uh, uh, tell her thank you with your applause. Mary is most comfortable working and least comfortable being acknowledged, so you can go have a seat. Thank you, Mary. She has organized leaders to speak to us throughout all our services, and we have a couple things that we're going to do in each service building up to November 22nd. Our first leader is Terry Arthur. Usually a quiet comes over the group. There is a bit of shyness about the topic of stewardship. So to start, I'm going to tell you a quick story that I hope will make you laugh. Because this time is a joyful opportunity to identify what God is calling us to do. So listen up. There's a story of a young man who walked into a card shop looking for a perfect card for his girlfriend. He was having trouble deciding, so he asked the store clerk if she might help him find one that would precisely express his sentiment. She picked out the best-selling card and gave it to the young man. It simply said, to the only girl I have ever loved. The young man said excitedly, that's perfect. I'll take four. <laughs> okay, let's see if we can figure out the connection here. Honoring commitments can be hard, but stewardship is all about making a commitment then keeping to it, not shying away. This church is alive. Memorial needs the generous, sacrificial support of those who love it. Martin Luther said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing, is worth nothing. Now, I'm not going to bore you with my life story, unless you ask sometime later. Let me just say this. I was so fortunate to be born and raised by Christian parents, where commitment to God, their church, giving, and their family was paramount. I am the youngest of my mom and dad's 15 children. Same mother, same father, one at a time, no reality show, talk about commitment. I am sure because of the prayers, patience, character, and giving of my parents, our family has been very blessed. And that's a whole lot of people. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each one has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Stewardship, giving, is a positive, joyful act. 
It does something for those receiving the gift of talents, time, or money, sure. But it also does something for us as the giver. I know most are scrambling just to do the best we can in every aspect of our lives. And perhaps for others of us, our commitment may be too easy. We are not expected to have the best gift, the biggest gift, the perfect gift all the time. But we are expected to do what we can and to offer the gifts we can with love and with sincerity. Acts of stewardship have the power to change how we understand and live out our lives. Folks who practice giving recognize God as the source of all they have and are and will be. They know they are the recipients and caretakers of God's many gifts and are grateful for all they have. Thank you for all you do. Thank you, Terry. Our ushers are going to pass out cards, and they are reservation cards for our dinner uh, following worship on November 22nd. We have a combined worship service on November 22nd, which is your uh, custom to um, celebrate Thanksgiving meal and also to celebrate Consecration Sunday. So our combined service will be in the sanctuary, and our dinner to follow will be a catered dinner. It will be delicious. will be um, here in the FLC. And so please take a card and simply put um, if you're coming, and if so, how many. If you know for certain that you are not coming, please put your name and put, the, and put that you are not coming so that we won't contact you. Um, we're going to make sure that we have an understanding of every single person's, uh, whether they are coming or not, on November 22nd. I'm going to give you just a moment to fill out the card, and then I'm going to call our ushers forward if you can just place the card in the offering plate. You put, um, if you are coming, and if so, how many? 
And if you know for certain that you are not coming, please put that you will not be coming and put your name so we know that. If you um, will put the pencils in the offering plate too, that'd be fine. All right, I'm going to call our ushers forward. If you uh, let's give our tithes and other offerings.
Will you stand and sing with us?
forth and meet in peace in full knowledge that our Lord has conquered death, that our Lord knows our very heart and mind, that you have the power to reach out to those both sick and well and let them know how much you love them in honor of those who have done it before you. Go in peace. you